Welcome to Heal. I'm normally your producer, but today I'll be interviewing Dr. Sarah Marshall for the final episode of season three. Up until this point, we've sort of shied away from being a how-to podcast, but three seasons in, we know many of you are inspired to start gaining control of your health. But how do you do that? Dr. Sarah Marshall and I are going to discuss the basics and teach you how to start healing. I'm Kendra Vicken, and this is Heal. So here we are again, back for another episode 13, this time for season three. And we are almost rounding out to a year of the podcast. How yeah. are you feeling, Sarah? Excited, good, kind of in awe of like what's happened and what's gotten created. And yeah, like the, when we first started, it was just my whole thing was like, could we do this for a year? So I have a little bit of like, shit, what are we going to talk about now? <laughs> like, I mean, we've been like, what else are we not saying? And then season three yep. has been all about going beyond and what have we had not even considered. And, you know, we're already starting to record and formulate season four, which you guys will see soon and uh, coming to a podcast station near you. And like, it's like, what do we still need to talk about? And then I'm like, well, then what are we going to do in season five? But that's, what's so cool is like each season, there's this kind of natural next step. So I just keep trusting that and rad, awesome, extraordinary people keep showing up to be interviewed. And I keep pushing my own boundaries of challenging myself. And so, yeah, this has been quite a epic healing journey. And we've interviewed some amazing people this season. We, there are some that I, that I keep telling everybody about, especially for me, that was Olaf Stahl, his episode about ping pong and table tennis and the healing powers of staying active, even some small ways like that. I, I think I've told like pretty much everyone I've had a conversation with <laughs> since I edited that episode Yes, about that. It just, you know, things we don't normally think of. Is there any standout episodes for you this season? Man, on one level, of course, there's like, well, all of them, but there's definitely, I kind of love the juxtaposition of season three because Early on, we started to get into the spiritual and psychic and intuitive sides of both being a practitioner and being a patient. We had Corey Mattia share about her, you know, six, seven year journey with Lyme's disease and, you know, how that's actually heightened her experience of her connection to her intuition and needing to listen to things beyond the physical and then my teacher who taught me about being a medical intuitive, Liliana Berzola, was, you know, here with amazing things to say about that world of healing, but then also what it is for her as a Latina woman, as a business owner, dealing with, you know, our cultural issues of race, our cultural issues of discrimination against people who don't have as much economic resources. So like that got teased out of that conversation. All the way to, I'm going to put it in my words, the other extreme with Dr. Guy Maital and Dr. Jamal Atella, who come from very traditional, highly esteemed medical backgrounds. You know, Guy has been a professor at numerous medical schools and came from his work in Boston and is now in New York City, speaking from the position of a psychiatrist, dealing with, you know, what does it even mean when we diagnose a disease at the psychological level? What does it do to people, for people? Where is it empowering? Where is it a trap? And then Jamal just coming in hot after 25 plus years as a kidney doctor, launching himself into the world of lifestyle medicine and trying to figure out 
where can some integrative medicine play a role in traditional practice? So like we talked about psychic illnesses and we talked about like diabetes 101 and the like front lines of being an MD. So I just love that we covered so much territory this year, this year, this season. Not to mention you got to interview Dallas Hartwig, who when you and I were planning for this to begin with, I was like, <laughs> all right, give me your dream list. And you're like, well, I really would want to interview Dallas Hartwig, but you know, I don't feel like I can ask him that, you know, yet. Yeah. And here we are before the year was even over. And he now laughs at me because we're friends and we've <laughs> gone for hikes together. And he's yep. like, I'm not sure if you're confused or just really acknowledging. And I'm like, I, I don't <laughs> think I'm confused. He's, you know, co-author of the whole 30 and it starts with food, two New York Times bestselling books that, you know, have been a pinnacle of my nutritional information that I give all of my clients for the last 12 years were books that he wrote. And so he'd always been a hero of mine for a long time. And I stumbled across his blog, I think four years ago and found out that he lived in Salt Lake City. And so I've been kind of like stalking him in a loving way, you know, and, and, and we connected a couple of years ago, but it didn't, you know, fully blossom into a friendship, but it really has now. And that was just an honor and it was so fun. And we didn't talk about food. We didn't talk about nutrition. We got into the dynamics of the feminine, and the masculine and healing the masculine and, and the, the masculine evolution of life. I, I, I'm still wrapping my head around that episode, but it was awesome. That is awesome. Another one of my favorite episodes this season was Akela's episode about her pregnancy following 11 miscarriages. And I shared a little bit on the last episode 13 for season two about my miscarriage. And hopefully it's okay if I share this, but now I'm pregnant again, which is super exciting. And her episode, there's one line in her episode that I repeat to myself almost every day which is that I will believe that all is well and good until I have irrefutable evidence to the contrary. And I feel like after loss, it's been easy for me and like this place of being pregnant after having a miscarriage to be like really convinced it's just going to happen badly again, because Mm -hmm. that's what my, you know, I've never had a pregnancy work out, you know, I've just had the one loss, which is not uncommon, but in my brain, it's like, now I'm afraid that's all my body knows how to do. Yeah. And so hearing her speak on that and hearing that line, it's anytime I see that anxiety sneak up for me, I've, that's kind of become my mantra. I've stolen that from her of, you know, I will believe that things are fine until I have proof otherwise. Mm -hmm. And, and there, man, every season, there's just stuff that really hits home. And I'm sure for all the listeners too, that it might even be different than what it was for you or what it was for me. And that actually could be a cool thing for all you listeners out there to share with us. If you would send it to Sarah on social media, on Instagram at Sarah Marshall ND or on her website, sarahmarshallnd.com. We'd love to hear what things are sticking out for you guys in these episodes this season or prior seasons that have really continued to resonate with you. Yeah. And I just want to, on the coattails of what you're sharing about what Kayla said is, you know, we had a surprise guest that I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't know when this was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen, but a really dear, dear, dear friend of mine, Jared Bringhurst, who uh, is an entrepreneur and his life has been about a business and he's not in the wellness field. And we were talking the other day and he was sharing, you know, he's uh, gone, you know, filed bankruptcy twice. 
He's currently in the midst of a divorce and, you know, 13 years of marriage and 16 years of relationship. And we decided to really look at what does it take to heal failure? Because that's a whole nother aspect of our overall well-being is dealing with these events and instances in our lives where things don't go as planned. Pregnancies, marriages, businesses, careers, you know, all kinds of things. And so that I love getting to kind of bring a whole different cut in on a subject matter that's not directly wellness, but yet it so is. And I, many of my clients, that's the thing they struggle with when they start working with me is like feeling like they're failing at the treatment plan, feeling like they're failing to meet my expectations, changing their diet. You know, we end up talking a lot about perfectionism and control and our fear of failure and our, you know, concerns for doing things perfect or, you know, whatever that is. And so it was really awesome to get to dive into, you know, someone who has been at highs, you know, he's had $20 million businesses and he's also filed bankruptcy and lived in people's basements in order to make out, you know, what he needed to do next in his life. So we had this broad sweeping spectrum of all of it. And yeah, definitely would love to hear from people what resonates, what are they loving? What do they want more of, you know, anywhere we can keep building into what the audience wants. I'm all for it. That's great. And there really is some great deep dive stuff in each one of these episodes. And people know, you know, that you are a naturopathic doctor. That's why you do this and that you do are hiring for patients. Are you still hiring for patients? I know we were putting that in the beginning of some of the episodes. Yeah, I still actually do have a few openings, although I had a remarkable onslaught in January, might have had something to do with the podcast. (laughs) So I I do have a couple month waiting list, but there actually still are. And then typically by about the end of the springtime, I'm pretty much closed for much of the year. Not always. You always can contact me and find out. But yeah, I actually do still have some room in my practice at this point. That's awesome. But as you and I talked about too, there are some people who maybe that's not accessible to them or maybe they're just brand new to the idea of being healthy. I think we all understand the concepts in general of like, all right, maybe don't eat soda and drink a ton of cigarettes and do hard drugs. I would like to see you drink but- cigarettes. <laughs> don't drink soda and don't smoke cigarettes and those things definitely will in general uh help our overall health and well-being yep drinking cigarettes not either oh my goodness that's funny but i feel like a lot of people don't know or are new to going deeper than that you know what does it mean to be healthy for people who want to get healthy um especially at the time we're recording this and It'll be a little bit later than this when it comes out, but we're still in January. So on the top of my mind is New Year's resolutions and picking diets and health plans. And I feel like there are a lot of people, even, you know, some of our listeners who do have that interest in being healthy that aren't really sure where the heck to start. Yeah. So let's, you know, spend some of this episode as we discussed trying to help people navigate that. Where, what do you, so let's start with that basic question and we can go a little deeper, but if someone is looking to get healthy, how the heck do they start that journey? Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I love the way you opened it. And it also can be like, even if you have been on the health journey, I have to restart often. (laughs) And sometimes me and my friends and people I know that have done cleanses, they've done diets, they've done things we still deal with 
oh my God, okay, I know I need to do something, but I've done all these things and I don't know, should I do them again? Should I do something different? Like there, so it doesn't really even matter if this is brand new to you or if you have experience with, you know, messing around in this area or not. I know that before I went to medical school, you know, I was back in the day when we went to Barnes and Noble to look for books, which I did do, you know, I'd be hanging out in the wellness section and I'd just be rifling through all these different books. And there were hundreds and it was like a South beach diet or this or that, you know, it was just like, I would just pick and choose and be like, well, let's try this one and see what happens. So I think it's a really, really good question. So bottom line is if you're looking to get healthier, where do you start? My, my mentor always is, so Dr. Tom is naturopath of 40 plus years. And my mentor, he was a professor of mine. He's also my personal physician. He always said, you want to start top down with like the most essential things to life. And if you actually think about it from that philosophy, you can go weeks without food and you can go days without water, but you can't go much more than a couple minutes without breathing. So he would say, breathe first. And what I love about that is it's very accessible. We do it all day long anyways. It's not like a new behavior, but actually slowing down, taking deep, full breaths, breathing with your stomach, breathing with your full chest. And I'm not going to give a little orientation here of like the technique. There's actually all kinds of really great work on YouTube and, and you can find kind of information all over the internet of different practices for deep breathing or full breathing. Wim Hof is a very popular way of going about that and, and very effective and grounded in some really good roots of healing and medicine. And just even acknowledging that, I don't know, 80% of us pretty much don't ever breathe fully and naturally. And it has to do with your posture. It has to do with all kinds of things. So that's the easy access point. And you know, what can that do for you? It can increase your energy. It can decrease blood pressure. It can decrease anxiety. It can help with emotional balance. So there is actually a lot of physiology that that will start to impact. I think we've mentioned this resource before, but it's worth saying again, which is there's a company called HeartMath that has been doing a lot of research on lowering blood pressure and supporting cardiac health by balancing the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems. And they do it by monitoring heart rate variability. So your heart beats a certain number of beats per minute, but it sometimes beats quickly and then slowly. And the amount of variability, the way that your heart rate is going is showing you whether you're more stressed out or you're more relaxed. The less variability, the more consistency, the more relaxed you are. And you change that through your breathing. So they have a little device that clips onto your finger and it monitors that. And you're actually able to literally see on a screen the shifts and changing that breathing can make to your whole nervous system, which will then loop into cardiac health, heart health, you know, all those kinds of things. Now, If you just breathe and you do that for the next 30 to 60 days, what it won't do or impact the other two things, it's mostly what people come for, which is to lose weight, (laughs) to look better. They may help you with feeling better, but it's a little bit like not, it's not the thing that I always see makes the biggest results the fastest. So I kind of went contrary to my mentor and he always said that his job was to raise us up and then to have us go beyond the level that he went. So like, I'm going to say I do it differently. 
where I start people with food because changing or altering how you eat is one of the fastest ways to alter how you feel in your body and also how you look. And so I am a big proponent of a whole foods based diet. So not having any processed food at all. And how do you know it's processed? Cause it comes in a package, any package. So a box of crackers that says whole grain isn't whole grain anymore. That's now a marketing gimmick. It's flour that got ground up and added preservatives. Cause as soon as you break open the seed of the flour, you have to add preservatives to keep it in balance while it's in the box. So you just can't, there's no way it can stay in its natural form. So whole foods are literally exactly the way they were found in nature. So that would be the wheat berry, which nobody eats the whole berry. They eat only ground up flour. You can eat whole rice though, and you can eat whole quinoa. So like you can have grains at that level. And just that step from convenience foods and packaged foods to whole foods is a big step. I mean, there's cooking involved, there's new planning, there's, you know, new grocery shopping that's involved in all of that. But it's one of the greatest ways you can start to impact no matter what you're dealing with, because you're reducing the chemical toxicity load, you're reducing inflammation, you know, and there's two ways I recommend going about it. And it depends on your personality. Some people are like cold turkey type, they got to just fully commit and go all in and say like, I'm just doing this and they get everything cleaned out of their house, everything cleaned out of their space and they go hundred percent all at once. If that's your type, there's no problem. It works great. But we have a tendency to kind of think that's the only way to do it. And it's not like that's an awesome way to do it. But for some people that's just, I mean, talk about dealing with failure. It's just going to trigger too much internally, or it's just going to seem too undoable. And then we quit and we don't stick with it. So then my other recommendation is to literally start with like one meal a day. So pick breakfast, lunch, or dinner, pick the easiest one to change. I recommend breakfast just because it'll make the biggest difference in how people feel throughout the day. If you start eating eggs and sauteed vegetables every morning for breakfast or a smoothie that's not too loaded with fruit, but has like a combination of fruit and vegetables or, you know, fruit and greens, you'll start to feel differences throughout your entire day. But even still, like if lunch is the easiest thing to change, then change lunch. If dinner's the easiest thing to change, then just start that and just do that for two weeks. Then now that you've got those routines in place, pick the next one. So now you're getting two meals out of your day that are balanced. The like bottom line statement that I recommend if you want to just start shifting things is to eat protein at every meal, six cups of vegetables a day and a gallon of water. You can eat anything else you want. (laughs) You can drink anything else you want. Now, if you actually do that, if you eat three to six ounces of animal protein at every single meal and six cups of vegetables a day, and you drink a gallon of water, the secret is there's not a lot of room left for a whole lot else. So it kind of pushes out. But it, for me, I don't deal well with like restriction mindset. You know, when people tell me I can't do something, the first thing I'm looking for is the loophole around it. Like it's just how I'm wired. So I don't deal very well with like hardcore diet cleanses and specific rules and stuff like my brain is already calculating for how to get around it. So I need something that gives me the freedom in my choices and that I'm more likely to be successful. So that's the place I would start is with food. So I actually have some questions about that, that maybe will sound stupid. I don't know. There's no stupid questions, right? Nope. So when you say nothing that comes in a package and then you say eat three to four ounces of protein, I'm assuming that that then do you mean Well, you said animal protein. So how then do we choose like whole food animal protein? How do we pick the best? 
uh-huh. animal protein to eat at the grocery yeah. store that doesn't have all those preservatives. I have a hard time distinguishing what's like just good marketing and what's good actually yeah. better for me. Totally. And I know like it would be really gross to actually buy meat that isn't wrapped in plastic. So like there's going to be like some degree of packaging there. But one is, is you want it to basically look like the closest thing that might have actually come off of the animal, which might be a little gross. But the reality is the more it looks like that just as a slab of beef, then that's probably healthier. So meat is a tricky one because pretty much in most grocery stores, the we only really have one option of a level. Well, we have two. We have decent USDA grade standard traditional meat. And then you have less than that. (laughs) Then you have things that preservatives have been added to, or they've been turned into another product, right? So mostly that's like, you're going to have chicken, fish, lamb, pork, beef, and then ground versions of that meat, right? Different cuts and, and then whether it's ground. And then there might be cold cuts, lunch meats, processed bacon, you know, there'll be like, little smokies are probably going to kill me that I actually called out a brand name, but whatever, you know, there'll be meats that have already been either cooked in some way or preserved in some way. So that bottom level, I, I say, take all of those out. If you're really interested in resetting your body. Now there are some versions of salami and bacon and sausages that I do find work for people. Once you get kind of used to reading labels and knowing about different additives and how different processing is. But from a starting standpoint, I just set all of the processed meats aside, which includes all deli meats, which is a little tricky because a lot of deli meats can be a convenient way to add protein to like, you know, your daily lunches and things like that. But actually on the whole 30, they challenge you to read the ingredients on everything. And I have rarely can find a deli meat that doesn't still have sugar added because that's part of how they make it taste good. And it's part of how they preserve it is with some sort of like dextrose or sucrose or something. So there's almost always something in that. But then for me, the, the real best answer is to get, there's some organic meats are available and some grass fed meats are available. And then this depends on which animal. So like free range chickens, grass fed beef, you're not really going to find free range pork. Pork is actually one of the harder meats for me to locate the healthiest version. And I pretty much have to go to farmers to get it. And it's not cheap. Now, none of the higher level meats are. And where I've kind of gone with my thinking about that is I eat less of it and I eat higher quality or more humanely raised animals. So personally, I have a farmer in Idaho and I order a side of beef once a year and I get 120 pounds of beef all at once. And then I eat that and nothing else. And you can, there's a website called eatwild.com and you can go on there and farmers will list themselves. There's a map. Actually, you can pick your state, you can pick your city and farmers will say like, here's what I have available and here's how to get it from me. Either I, some of them are commercially operating. You can get it from them all the time. Some of them you have to only you can order, but then they're going to only do slaughters on a particular schedule. So you like would get 10 chickens all at once. And I do have a freezer downstairs. Now that's a whole nother level of commitment, but it does make a difference. So like sourcing, you know, I get um, my fish from a fishing cooperative in Bristol Bay, Alaska, and there's several different kinds of like buying programs where the fishermen are now starting to work directly with customers 
which helps them cut out the middleman and also helps them put their money into environmental sustainable fishing, line caught fish, things like that. But at the standard grocery store, you might have the option for grass fed. And I would always do that if you have the option. And then you might have the option for free range or potentially organic. I would love to say that that's like the best solution. And unfortunately in our world right now, organic raised animals are still not that humanely raised. They can be semi feedlot. They're just eating organic feed instead of non-organic feed. Now, the only good news about this, not only one of the good news is standard feedlots are crowded conditions that are kind of like, you know, you've animals that have low levels of nutrition. And so they have put a lot of antibiotics into those animals among other things. Like, I don't know if this statistic still holds up today, but 10 years ago, 80% of all of the antibiotics produced in the United States were fed to ant farm animals, not to human. So that's, that's just keeping them alive because their conditions are so poor and their diet is like, there's a whole thing about cows are not supposed to eat corn. They're really supposed to eat grass. And if they eat corn, then they're, you know, we know about the microbiome. Well, cows have a microbiome. They have four stomachs. They have a huge microbiome. Cows microbiome gets off. They get E. coli. They have all kinds of disease issues. So they're on antibiotics all the time. And PS antibiotics make them grow faster and get fatter quicker. So that's the other thing it does to humans too. Side note. But um, it's so like, it's unfortunate we don't have like the, you know, so what can you do around meat industry in particular at a standard grocery store? It's still worth it, in my opinion, to choose organic, even though it's not, I'm not standing here saying that it's the best solution. And I do that both politically and for a health reason, because I do believe in voting with your dollar. I do believe that if we make certain buyers choices, it'll push the demand in new directions. I mean, I remember there was never organic at Walmart. But now Walmart has a huge organic section. And that happened because we chose it because people were willing to do it. And so it's also kind of like the electric car is the electric car solution to all of our, you know, issues in climate control. No, not at all. But if we go that direction, we make those purchasing options, it pushes the market. It starts to create innovation. That's my belief. That's where I stand with it. And then if you're really invested, buy a freezer and shake the hand of your farmer and you'll get the best quality meat that way. That's awesome. And so kind of along that line is how much and how frequently should we be eating? I feel like that's one of the harder things to navigate when you're first learning about getting healthy is that there's so many conflicting pieces of advice. I have heard that you should do intermittent fasting and only eat for 12 hours of the day and then not eat at all for the other 12 hours of the day. And then I've also heard that you should be eating tiny meals like all day long <laughs> to you know, keep your metabolism up. Yeah. And I, so like, what the heck do we make of that? What is yeah. the actual, like not necessarily trendy, but what's the actual best way to have meals and to eat throughout the day? It depends, honestly. <laughs> and so this is yeah. where like, if we're willing to take the fads out of it, there's solid good evidence that intermittent fasting makes a real difference in diabetes because diabetes. Now this is a person already with diabetes, not prevention of diabetes. Those are two different physiologic states. But if you already have diabetes, your cells are resistant to insulin. The insulin is the hormone that makes all the blood sugar go from the blood into the tissues to be used by your body where it needs to be. And basically what's happened is you get insulin resistance. And that's sort of like 
I'm going to put it this way. It's like the telemarketer or the marketer that comes to your door and they just knock on your door and they come every day and they knock at your door and they come every day and they knock at your door. You eventually stop asking. You just like, don't answer the door anymore. That's what's been happening is there's been so much blood sugar and so much insulin in the system that the cells finally are like enough already. But ironically, they're starving on the inside. The blood sugar, the blood, sorry, the sugar stays in the blood and isn't getting into the tissues where it's needed. So if you only eat two meals a day in a short window and you have 16 hours without food or without sugar exposing the cells, you give those cells a chance to be like, and then they aren't as prone to being insulin resistant. Their insulin sensitivity actually goes up. That's valid. That's a real thing. But then you have people on the other end of the spectrum who are in a different kind of, like I kind of put diseases into two categories or health conditions, because not everybody has a disease where there's conditions of excess and there's conditions of depletion. And you can even have somebody who, yeah, they might be overweight, but they're really in a condition of depletion. Their energy is really low. They have insomnia. They're exhausted all the time. Their body just isn't getting enough fuel. That is a person who I'm going to say they need to eat every two hours. And it's specifically to help restore the functioning of a different side of hormones, which comes from the adrenal glands. And the adrenals are dealing with our fight or flight survival mechanisms. And when we've dealt with PTSD, when we've had long-term periods of stress, when we've gone through a horrific divorce for years and years and years, when we've got caretaker syndrome, we've been taking care of a parent or a child, and we're just depleted don't do intermittent fasting without consultation of a medical doctor. Like working with a medical doctor, if they assess you and they say this is the best thing for you, great, do it. Like I I don't know all the new ins and outs of each individual person, but on a general standpoint, when I have somebody who's really dealing with, I'm exhausted, I'm fatigued, I'm depleted, I can't remember the last time I had a day off, I'm more likely to end up with someone who's in a state of adrenal insufficiency or cortisol imbalance, and they need to be nourishing and feeding the fuel of their body on a regular basis because their energy systems aren't able to do it on their own right now. It won't be forever. It'll be a period of time that they eat that way. The other thing that I think confuses this is we have people who are athletes communicating information about how they operate to people who are not athletes. And that's something you got to tell yourself the truth about. Are you taking your nutritional advice from a bodybuilder? That's fine if you're a bodybuilder, but if you're not, that may not be the best source of advice, right? So there are bodybuilders who do eat 6,000 calories a day and it works for what they're up to, their physiology, the amount that they train and how they've conditioned their body to get to that position. And they do it by eating six small meals throughout the day and they eat nothing but broccoli, rice, and chicken. And, you know, like- There, Whereas so, if I ate 6,000 pounds sitting at my computer all yeah. day for work, that would yeah. not have the same results. Nope. You know, Michael <laughs> Phelps was eating 10,000 calories a day when he was training for the Olympics. He was also in water six hours a day and water will pull heat out of our body really quickly. And so most of the reason why we need any excess calories at all is to stay warm. When I lived in Arizona, I like stopped eating because <laughs> yeah. my body was 98 degrees on the inside and the air was 98 degrees on the outside. And I was like, I don't need to eat anything because I'm just already the right temperature all the time. And so it was actually yeah. hard to get myself to eat compared to when I was in Montana, I was wolfing down sausage and bacon and steaks and, you know, extra butter on everything. And it was burning through it. And I lost weight when I was up there. 
So there's all these other factors like, are you in a state of excess or are you in a state of deficiency? What is your athletic goals and what is your athletic ability right now? Like all of those things kind of cater into which one. And I'm going to say this because people are like, okay, great. Now what do I do? Right. Generally speaking, all diets work. All of them. Do you know the number one way to make a diet work? Stick to it. Keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really about structure. Like, you know, we interviewed Cesar Contreras who lost 80 pounds. I didn't even ask him what diet he did, but I guarantee he picked something and he stuck to it. And that's what had it work. And so should you do keto? Should you not do keto? Should you do intermittent fasting? Should you not do intermittent fasting? Is paleo for you or is a vegan raw diet or a juice cleanse? Like that's where listening to yourself and your heart and your body and what sounds right and what feels good and being honest with ourselves where our triggers and things are. Like I never, ever, ever thought I would do a 30 day vegan cleanse, but I did. And it was all raw, mostly juiced vegetables for 30 days with a little bit of seeds. And it was an awesome experience. And I didn't lose any weight at all because it's not what my physiology needs. You know, it was cleansing. It was healthy for me, but it wasn't shifting in that way. My body does the best when I have animal protein and vegetables as a balance. And I need a certain amount of fats in my diet. And that's my physiology, but other people, they take the fat out and they mostly eat a little bit of protein and a lot of vegetables and all of these things line back up. Right. Well, then there's, you know, there's so many extremes there, right? I mean, there's vegan diet and then there's a keto diet and those are, you know, like pretty much opposite things, but I know people who feel healthy and successful in both of those diets. And I'm actually going to pull in from Dallas Hartwig, actually. He wrote a book. I have it sitting on my desk. I'm looking for it. The Four Season Solution. And what I love about this project is that he talked about how our physiology shifts with the seasons. And that's something that you actually, when you start d- getting into these diets and you read about a lot of them, yes, stick with it to reach your goal, but there is a natural shifting and changing to what your body wants at any given time. So it's another thing that trips people up sometimes. So like, oh gosh, what's the author of Bulletproof Diet? I've lost his name all of a sudden, but I'll think of it in just a second. But I remember reading one of the more recent books in the Bulletproof series, and he recommends, you know, Bulletproof is practically keto, if not full keto. And it's a very strict paleo diet. But then he takes a break and goes all vegan for like either a week or six weeks, depending on what you're doing. And Mm. he intentionally brings in this pulsing of a cleanse and letting your body release things and shifting the physiology. In Tim Ferriss's four-hour body, which came out forever ago, but is still a great basis for this conversation of like how to get healthy because he basically talks about the biggies, sex, sleep energy, fitness, like that's what we want. (laughs) We want great sex. We want good restful sleep. We want to have good energy. We want to look good. And he nailed it in that book. And he talked about six days on one day off. And there's even some research that says, if you stay on a restricted, you know, rigid diet, you could potentially put yourself into an intentional hypothyroid state where your metabolism starts ramping down. Now it's not really anything you're going to see 
in your blood work per se. But if your body thinks it's starving, it's going to start compensating for that. And it's not, you're not going to get the same results. So pulsing things on a certain schedule can make a difference. What I like about what Dallas Hartwig said in the four season solution is something that just resonates more with me, which is staying in tune with nature. So in the summertime, more fruits, higher carbohydrates, you're also active longer days, you're outputting more energy, you're more social, you're more wanting to be out in the world. And then we naturally have harvest time in the fall and what's available in the fall, potatoes and pumpkins and squash and all these starchy vegetables, because we're supposed to gain weight in the fall so that we make it through the winter. And so, so many of us get so mad when we put on the idea is to take it back off in the spring, but we put on five or six pounds in the fall. It could actually be part of your natural biorhythm, except that we don't run out of food in the winter. That's the only difference because our grocery stores are always stocked. But then you go into like meats and stews and heartier foods. And then what's available in the springtime? Greens, tons and tons and tons of greens, all the green shoots and the, you know, baby kale and the dandelion greens and all of the tops of the carrots and the tops of everything. And so when to do a good deep vegan cleanse, the spring is a great time to do it. And then what's interesting is you look those foods up, bitter greens are really good for the kidney and the liver, which are very detoxifying, which is like the perfect time to do that kind of a detox. So that aspect also is something that really resonates with me of like, well, how come all these diets work? Well, keto in the winter (laughs) and vegan in the spring and, you know, paleo omnivore in the summer. And it's like, you can kind of see it through that lens. That's what I really loved about what he created. That's awesome. Also, I think I found Dave Asprey. Yes. That's the author, right? I knew that. I just had a moment. (laughs) (laughs) No, sometimes we need our memory jogged. Yeah. So kind of along the, along the same line as food for what's confusing, for me, you know, being the representative for the people who are not as involved in this as you. Yeah. Vitamins. I'm yeah. interested in vitamins and supplements. I feel like there's a lot of good marketing. You know, I I see the sugar bear, you know, hair one all the time. I see, you know, like detox diet teas, you know, things like this are all over social media. How do we determine what we actually should be supplementing our diet with? How do we determine if we should or should not be on a vitamin? Should everyone be on a multivitamin? How, how do we navigate that kind of space? This is the best worst question ever, Kendra. (laughs) (laughs) So it's complicated. I can give you my opinion really, which is what all I got. I think if we tell ourselves the truth about the state of farming And if you know at all, and I'll tell you now, we have stopped farming topsoil a long time ago. So before fertilizers were really a thing, which really was post-World War II and didn't completely take hold until the 1970s, you couldn't grow food without healthy, nutrient-dense soil. It wouldn't grow. And then the crops would be incredibly weak, just like if we were nutrient deficient, our immune systems would be weak, we would be susceptible to disease. Same thing happens with plants. So up until very recently, all of human agrarian history was dependent on healthy, nutrient-dense soil to produce any food at all. 
We added manure. We added things in. We rotated crops. We had, we knew that we could get more food from an acre of soil if we had multiple crops on the same ground than only one single plant type like we do now in monocultures. So one of the downstream effects of this is a tomato is not a tomato like it used to be. And a pepper is not a pepper. And many people aren't even eating vegetables. So you've got processed food, you've got foods that are inflammatory, which are actually taking nutrition out of your body in order to be dealt with. You've got foods that are removing things from your gut microbiome in order to actually be even able to pass through your digestive tract. So some of your food, it might be giving you calories, but it's literally sucking nutrition out of your body as you eat it. And then in addition to that, even if you do eat a relatively balanced diet and you've done the whole foods thing, we just don't have particularly the minerals. So you asked about vitamins because that's what we often think about. We kind of put them all in one category, but I'm going to tease it apart that you have different categories of things. So my opinion is vitamins are important. And if you eat a whole foods-based diet, you're going to get a lot of them, but minerals are the most critical. So if you're going to prioritize something, prioritize mineral supplementation. Now I'm not talking about calcium. And that's another thing where like the only mineral we ever talk about is calcium. Everyone's like, ah, oh, calcium prevents osteoporosis. Kinda. The research is a little weak on that. And actually there's been a lot that's shown that a lot of the calcium on the market, and this is where it gets tricky. Like I can definitely give you what my top recommended vitamins and supplements are. And I will for just general overall health. But then the hard part is because this industry is not well-regulated it's, it takes some wit, it takes some knowledge and some understanding to be able to decipher what's worth spending your money on and what's not, what's more marketing and what's actually more useful and, and to be able to tell the difference between the different companies. Unfortunately, that's still just the case. So one of the first things I'd say is find somebody in your life who loves this stuff and they research it and they want to tell you all about it and ask them because they'll help you sort it out. But my top favorite things that I do think support people overall is a B complex and B complexes are essential for your energy level. They prevent anemia, you know, B12 does all the other Bs are integral in your literal energy production of like how you break down food and get bodily energy. They're also integral for DNA transcription. So the efficiency of your body to be able to remake what it needs to, which is also cancer preventing, there's all kinds of things. So B vitamins are at the top of my list. And I do recommend a complex. Next to that is magnesium. Now, most of my new clients, I put them all in a multi-mineral to begin with because minerals are the main cofactors for enzymes in your body doing the things it needs to do. And generally, doing a multivitamin isn't my favorite thing to do, but doing a multi-mineral is. So multi-minerals can actually start to give you a base of even boron and molybdenum and things you've never even thought you needed, but you actually do need a little bit of it. But then after a couple months on a multi-mineral, I almost always just leave people on a magnesium supplement. And then this is where a little chemistry knowledge starts to kick in because there are mineral supplements on the market that, you know, there are companies that the goal is to make the cheapest version of the thing that they can. So there's inorganic minerals and there's organic bioavailable minerals. So there's minerals that are literally made out of rocks. Those are not so absorbable. And then there's ones that are made from more food-based substances. And so you'll see 
minerals that have any kind of, and I know this is going to get a little technical, but an amino acid chelate to it. So magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate, magnesium malate. Those are some of my favorite ones and combinations when in doubt, I'll do like a, a tri mag that has all three of the most common chelates so that you're getting different things. Now they actually do absorb differently. And for people who have stomach sensitivity to magnesium, where it causes diarrhea or loose stools, magnesium malate or glycinate tend to be the most absorbable. So you don't get that GI effect. So B vitamins, magnesium or minerals, probiotics. And this is another one where there's been a lot of research recently that's kind of gone back and forth if probiotics are really useful, you know, worth it or not. Here's my thing with probiotics. There is a case to say that for some people taking them makes no difference. But there's also a lot, 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 like if you have IBS, if you deal with any sort of diarrhea, if you have chronic constipation, which is like a whole ton of people in the population, that it shows it is of good benefit. So is there a chance that you're taking a probiotic and it's doing nothing? Yes, but it's sort of like it's either doing nothing or it's doing a lot of good things. And if you're paying attention to your body, usually you can tell in a couple of months that like, oh my gosh, I actually feel way more regular. And I can't tell you the number of people I know we're going to talk about poop, but just let me do it. I can't tell you the number of people who they tell me how normal and regular their bowel movements are. And then I have them do a GI transit test. This isn't foolproof, but it's a pretty good at home way of testing how your transit time is. Take seven capsules of charcoal and then wait for the black stool to come out. So what happens in many people is it's two or three days later, but they're pooping every day. So their experience is I'm regular, but what they don't know is it's taking two to three times longer than it's supposed to for food to move all the way through their system. That is going to be a source of toxicity and a source of inflammation because the longer the transit time, the more possibility that toxins or parts of the body's trying to get rid of things are there to get reabsorbed. So what's a good transit time? About 18 to 24 hours. So, you know, something should basically go into your mouth. It takes several hours to get all the way through your stomach and into your lower digestion. And then it should take another like 10 to 12 hours to get through your colon. And so that's also something that surprises people. They often think like they eat and poop and that that was all the same thing. No, that was probably three meals ago. <laughs> so there is a little bit of a lag time there, but Which this is, and maybe this is kind of a joke. I don't mm -hmm. know, but this makes me think about like when you eat corn. Yes. And then like how quickly is that kind yeah. of the same idea, right? Like it's so if similar in the corn husk in my poop the next day, right? Is you that probably like have decent transit time. <laughs> the only caveat is that corn can be inflammatory. So if you have any inflammation, it'll quicken your transit time. So it'll be a oh. false positive. That's why charcoal is a better indicator because it's inert, it's neutral, and it's just it'll just stay together. So that's the only problem with using corn. But otherwise, you're on the right track. Now, here's a question too about like that idea of just going and taking seven capsules of charcoal. Yeah. As I had heard once and like, please correct me if this is wrong, which is why I'm bringing it up that you shouldn't take a lot of charcoal if you're on medication because yes. it can absorb the medication yeah. before your stomach gets to or something like that. You definitely wouldn't want to take the charcoal with your medication or even other supplements because they'll stick to the charcoal and not get absorbed by your body. So if this were something that you wanted to do, you'd want to time it away from other medications. I should put in the show notes how much time that should be. If it's like three or four hours, 
is what my brain is telling me that three or four hours should be sufficient because at that point, the medication has gone through your stomach and is already getting absorbed by your liver and small intestine. And then anything you did after that would be safe. Okay. That's so great clarification for if someone wants to go home and try it, try this. No, that's, I'm really glad you brought that up. So we talked about B vitamins, magnesium, probiotics, and then my next one is fish oil or some sort of an omega product. I am, if you are an animal eater, I'm a big proponent of fish oil. And this is one where a lot of people will do this. And then, you know, I may betray something here, but I'm just going to say it anyways, which is like, you always need to consult a physician when you're adding anything to your diet, especially, you know, or supplements because of interactions with medications and things like that. Now, these are on my list because most of these are pretty innocuous in the sense that there's not a lot of cross reactivity. You know, there is a thing about if you're on thyroid medication and you take minerals at the same time, it binds with the thyroid medication. So you want to take thyroid medication an, at least an hour or two away from all food and all medic, all other supplements in general. Most people already know that that are taking that medication. Right. So there are some things to be in consideration of. And with fish oil, there is a possibility. Some say about it over thinning your blood. Now I can't like point to the research per se that proves otherwise, but my general understanding from my naturopathic community is that that is really hard to do. Like you would have to eat so much fish oil. You're like growing gills for that to start to be a problem where you get into a problem of like excessive bleeding before surgeries and things like that. And if you're on a blood thinner already as a medication, then you got to consult your doctor before you do this. But some of my clients have actually been able to mitigate how much medication they've needed of their blood thinner by balancing it out with fish oil and with a few other things, but then they have to be very consistent about it. You can't skip days. You can't do it sometimes and not other times. You've got to be just as consistent as you were about your medication. So that's my caveat there. But in general, fish oil is so good for our brains, our memory, our ability to focus for hormone balance, for being heart healthy, for being anti-inflammatory. It's just really critical. And even better than a fish oil supplement is reducing the amount of omega-6s in your body, which is arachidonic acid, which is the oil that comes from plant oils, processed food, fried food, like the whole world of fast food. So ultimately you want a one-to-one -one ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 in your body. Almost none of us have that. I work really hard at it and I don't have that. It's hard to do. If you can get to a one-to-four, that's at least considered optimal health. Most of us are walking around with one to 10, one to 12, and that's where all the inflammation in our body is coming from. So there's a little bit of taking a lot of fish oil to kill off the inflammation is like trying to spit in the ocean and change the tides you really do have to deal with the source of the inflammation. Yeah. But in addition to that, it's incredibly helpful for hormones, for brain health, for all that kind of stuff. And then my last one on my list of the top five is vitamin D. And I feel like we've talked a lot about vitamin D during the COVID era. So I don't know that I need to beat that drum too hard, but we're all predominantly vitamin D deficient. It actually does show that vitamin D supplementation does make a difference in your health. Cause that was always my question. I'm like, well, we're supposed to be outside and we're just taking the supplement instead. Does that even make a difference? Does that change anything? It does. It does help your immune system. Vitamin D is very antifungal. It can be antiviral. It's supportive of your immune system, your eye health, your skin health, so many things. So I do also have that one on my list of top five. Now, I've already said a lot, but I do want to just kind of point to what you're talking about. It's just like, how do you know what to supplement and, and where to go with it? And, you know, 
just like if you were going to take a medication, you'd probably want to read about it. So you'd want to get some good, solid information. And there are loads of stuff on the internet, which comes with loads of misinformation, but there's also really good information. I do tend to follow Chris Kresser, Dr. Axe. Those are two of my favorite blogger doctors who have really solid information. Dr. Mercola is old school. He was one of the first nutritional bloggers, but his information is still pretty rock solid. And he's actually really willing to call stuff out kind of even more on the edge of, of being controversial, which I really love that he's willing to speak to that. And then my brain's going to do the thing again. I read his blog every day of the Cleveland clinic. He's a medical doctor. He's gotten way into integrative medicine. We'll make sure his name is in the show notes. So those are some people that are very credible that you can read their information. You can read their blogs. You can start to get an idea. There is a book called Prescriptions of Nutritional Healing that two medical doctors created, I don't know how many, probably 20 years ago now or more, and they publish updated versions of it. I used this book in my board exams in medicine. Like it's solid. It's a lot of information, but it's a good place. And you can go through like literally disease by disease. You can look up gout, you can look up arthritis, you can look up, you know, adrenal fatigue, you can look up these things and it's all research backed. They did an incredibly job citing it. It's it's a great place to start in if you're really wanting to get even deeper and to be able to have a resource for your family. You know, then there's the world of herbs and then there's the world of homeopathy. And we would need at least three or four more podcasts for that. Now, the good news is, and I'm going to put this little dot in now, is one of the things that's come out of this podcast is recognizing there's a lot more I want to share and teach. So over 2021 and into 2022, I'm going to be producing some courses and we're going to be able to get into some of this stuff in even more detail to help sort these things out about where do I start and what do I do and how to figure these things out with groups of people in some online virtual courses. And then I hope someday in-person workshops when we're able to do that again. So I will definitely be able to start to support people more in that genre when they're not going to just come be, you know, a private practice member in my, my business. And along that line, if anyone's listening to this in the car or somewhere else where they've been wanting to take in all this information, but unable to write it down, don't panic. I will put it all in the show notes on our website for you. This will probably be the most extensive show notes for an episode <laughs> yeah, we've ever have. done. Yeah. But I will make sure to list there for you guys, Sarah's top list of her top recommended vitamins and minerals as well as the books and the blogs she has mentioned. Yeah. So all of those resources will be there for you. And there you can sign up for the newsletter as well, which I highly recommend you do because then you'll be one of the first people to know when her courses go live about these general health issues. And that's Mark Hyman, MD from the Cleveland Clinic. And he's awesome. just been really extraordinary at bridging the gap between conventional and integrative medicine, which I really appreciate. I sometimes disagree with him, but I think that's awesome, you know, is like, I'm glad that there's discourse and we're, we're looking at it. We're figuring stuff out. So yeah, we'll have all that in the information. Well, let's wrap up with just one more question. Okay. If there was one thing that you would want everyone to know or to do to be healthy, what is it? Sleep. So it's, I think this is a moving target. I think if you asked, you know, in the 1960s, it'd be one answer. And in the 1990s, it'd be another answer. But with where we are now and the way our lives are, 
there's this badge of honor that we can make it through life on four to five hours of sleep, or I'm fine with six hours. And yet like, okay, I'm totally, if, if this client hears this, I am totally picking on you in the best possible way. And thank you for being an example for all of these people out here listening. But I had a client recently tell me she's totally great on six to seven hours of sleep every night. Like she, she totally works for her, but she just has a really hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Cause she's so fatigued. And it's like, I get it. Now, I also know that there was like a period of time where you will, you know, you did feel good on six to seven hours. And then now there's this fatigue and they're not always directly related. But the very simple answer is when you're thirsty, what should you do? Drink water. And when you're hungry, what should you do? Eat food. (laughs) And when you're tired, what should you do? Sleep. (laughs) Not drink caffeine, not go to the gym, not collect $200. Like if you're fatigued for any reason, even if the reason you're fatigued is because you have a disease or the reason you're fatigued is because you're going through menopause or the reason you're fatigued is because of some other circumstance. Do you know what we do when we sleep? We heal. Your body is trying to make you stop so it can freaking get its job done and heal. And then you'll be better. And when you're better, guess what? You'll automatically sleep the amount that you actually need with no alarm. So here's the test. And this will take something for people to organize their lives this way. But if people could go to, if you could go to bed and actually be prepared to go to sleep at 10 o'clock and not wake up with an alarm for seven days, then tell me, tell me what the average was. Mm Mm-hmm. And it requires actually going to bed at a reasonable time in the evening, because if you go to bed later, it will throw off your cortisol levels and things can change in your hormones. So you actually want to hit that first window. It's also my favorite when people are like, well, I'm really tired when I get home from work at like seven or eight o'clock at night, I'm like exhausted. Like I could go to sleep, but I can't go to sleep at eight o'clock. Like I'm not a, you know, six-year-old kid. Like I'm an adult, I'm going to stay up. So I push through that. And then I'm so wired. I can't fall asleep till one o'clock in the morning. Oh no, it sounds like you're talking about me. It (laughs) happens all the time. (laughs) So that's a clue. That's a hint that your body actually is giving you the proper signal at the proper time. And it's trying to get you to go to sleep, but we just think that's just insane. And I get it. Like one of the things I also say in my practice all the time is all people dealing with a health issue turn into little kids. We just do. I don't want to take all these pills. I don't want to go to bed early. I don't want to drink all this water. It's awesome. I love it. I really do. Actually, it's totally makes me laugh when I have a 70 year old person in my practice who's like whining like they're five. But I get it because like, I mean, I had that too. I was the youngest in my family. And the whole idea of going to bed early was a punishment. It was like all the fun stuff happened after I went to sleep and I was the little one. And so I had to go to bed early and then they had all the fun and I was sleeping and I hated missing out. So it took me a long time to realize that as an adult, I get to do whatever I want. And what I want is to feel good and to have energy. And so I've, I think we have talked about this on other podcasts, but I'm going to say it again, which is I often prescribe my new clients somewhere between four and nine days of bed rest like uninterrupted, no work, no projects, no nothing. They have to sit still and do as little as possible. Now they'll ask me like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to get bored. Not one person ever has told me they were bored. Mostly they're shocked by the fact that they sleep around 12 to 14 hours the first couple nights, Mm -hmm. but then they don't. 
then there's like this natural reset that starts to happen. And then their body gets into this rhythm. And some people sleep the entire week, depending on how exhausted they've been. But some people will actually say like the first couple of days I was blown away. I slept till 11 o'clock in the morning. I've not done that in years because they gave themselves the full permission. There wasn't even those thoughts saying you're going to have to do this in the morning, which will wake you up earlier. So that would be my number one thing for where we are right now is sleep and giving yourself time to rest and actually allowing your brain to slow down and your body to do deep healing. And guess what? You lose weight when you actually have slept enough. So how cool would that be if you could just like drop 10 pounds because you're sleeping more? That sounds like a dream to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's that's interesting. I think that that's a great note to leave off on. I feel like this has been an awesome overview and an awesome entry point or reminder for people who have already been trying to do this of ways to seek health. And so just as a reminder to everybody, you can find all the details for this episode on sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. And I think that's all I have. Do you have anything else, Sarah? No, this was awesome. And I you know, we've, we've kind of shied away from the podcast being a bunch of how to's, but I also realized there's a point where it's like, okay, I'm inspired. Now what do I do? So I'm glad we did this. And, you know, we look forward to hearing from everybody so we can get more of what you want this to, you know, what topics you want us to cover, what places you want us to go. And I've even been kicking around the idea of creating some Q and a sessions where like we would literally just put out a zoom meeting notice on the podcast or on the website. And then, you know, in the newsletters, you'd be able to get it. And it'd be like, you know, office hours with Dr. Marshall, and then be able to use that as helping other people and sharing that information and finding out what people's questions are so that, you know, more and more people can get the information they're looking for. So that's what we're here to do. That sounds great. Well, it's been an amazing season and I look forward to season four. Yep. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, Kendra. Bye, Sarah. A super special thank you to our producer, Kendra Vicken, for always pulling for our greatness. Are you ready to take on your own health? I'm now accepting new clients for 2021. Contact me at sarahmarshallnd.com or Instagram at sarahmarshallnd. For a full transcript and all the many resources from today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com slash podcast. Send us your questions as well anything that we missed or you're unclear about in this episode. Thank you for listening. Support and spread the word by leaving us a review on your favorite platform so we can heal our world. Thank you to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour. This is Dr. Sarah Marshall. We'll see you in season four.